as some of you know, my mom died a few, few years ago, and, and I'm about to do something that she would hate. She would definitely hate this. I'm putting her photograph up for, like, everybody to see. Um, this is not how I remember uh, my mom. I was obviously, um, when I was a baby, she was a little bit older than this, but this is a picture that my dad carried around uh, in his wallet for his you know, for his entire life, and, and um, you know, my mom hated for people to draw any attention to her, anything that she did. Um, she didn't want, she didn't want anybody to know, so if she knew, like, hey, mom, I'm going to put your photograph up, and it's going to be on the internet for, you know, whoever wants to see it, to see it, uh, she probably would have tried to stop me uh, some, somehow. I'm not sure what she would have done, kind of scary to think about, but, but, you know, that's just how she was. She was a person who wanted to be behind the scenes. She wanted to help and do everything that she could to make, you know, the, the church work, to, you know, to, to minister to people. But it was never about, like, attention to herself. And um, even when my, my dad and her retired from the church in Eva Beach, you know, it was really not something she was real comfortable with, just being up in front of people. Um, she, she just wanted to, to help and be behind the scenes. And, and you, know, uh, you know, I th would think about that, and, you know, what I realized for her was it wasn't that she was shy. My mom was not anywhere remotely shy. She, she, had, no, she had no problem telling you what her opinion was on things. Um, and she... You know, she was talented, she could sing, she would be leading, you know, certain, you know, certain ministries and certain groups. She was a preschool director for a while. It wasn't that she was shy. It's just that for her, it wasn't about her. It wasn't about attention to her. It was about doing what needed to be done, what was done out of, out of love for God and, and love for other people and, and and just making sure things happened. And because of that, you know, it's, it was one of those things where you know, so many people probably didn't know that, that my mom was, was blessing them because she never said anything. She never, she never, you know, made a big thing. And that's sometimes hard in our world. And, and it's because in our world, we, we rely so much on seeing. You know, a lot of people believe that, that, you know, seeing is believing. At least that's what they say. They say, like, you know, I got to see it, and then I'll believe it. Um, and even though people say it, um, and even though it will affect things like when my mom, you know, nobody necessarily knew all the things that she was doing, and so they might not have understood the contribution she was making, but a lot of people, they, they, they say seeing is believing, but they don't necessarily like, live that way. It, it's something we like to say, especially when, when we don't want to do something or we don't want to believe something. And so if you can't like, produce right there evidence, then we say seeing is believing. And yet there's so many things that we, are, that, that we do. There's so many things that, that we believe that we haven't seen. 
And I know some people are like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's because that's, that's you religious people, right? That's you Christian people. That's you faith people. No, it's not really. It's, it's everybody. How many people are, you know, believing that there's a uh, coronavirus, a COVID-19? How many people believe that? And you go, and, and I could ask you, like, have you actually seen a coronavirus? You know, up until just a couple hundred years ago, even in the 19th century, they didn't even believe in germs because you couldn't see them. But have you seen one? You haven't seen it, but you believe it. And why do you believe it? Well, because someone you believe or someone you trust told you it. There's so many things that, that, that happen in our lives that we believe without seeing. You know, do you believe there's a Botswana? Botswana, let's show off some, some useless knowledge for you. Botswana is the aphelion of Hawaii. What does that mean, aphelion? It means that if you were to go exactly to the opposite side of the earth and, and you know, dig down straight from Hawaii, that's where you'd end up, in Botswana. So have you, do you, do you believe Botswana exists? And if, if you do, why? Have you, have you been there? Have you seen it? Do you even know anybody from Botswana? I don't even know if you call them Botswanese or what, you know, what, what do you call somebody from Botswana? I don't know. But you believe it, and why do you believe it? Well, it's on a map. Okay. Um, I have a map of Middle Earth from Lord of the Rings. Um, as much as I would love for that to be real and there would be a Gondor and a Rohan and all that stuff, I don't believe it's true just because it's on a map. And yet, there's so many things like that that we believe. We believe them because we've been told them by some source that we trust. And so, this is a problem for two reasons. One is, you know, the reason of how do we really know if we're not going to say seeing is believing. But the second thing is, is that how many things are we missing? Like I said, in the 19th century, they didn't believe in germs because they couldn't see them. How many things are we missing because we can't see them? And so today's message, a second message in the, in the book of Ruth, you know, this, today's message is, is the secret work of God. That God is at work, but God is not always like drawing attention to the work that he's doing. There's the secret work of God. Just like my mom wasn't drawing attention to herself or all the things she was doing, she's just doing it. And, you know, the same, same, same thing is true. Is this, you know, this is God doing so many things. And sometimes it's truly secret, like we can't know. But a lot of times it's not really secret. It's, it's really that we're just not looking. We're just not thinking that, it could, that God could possibly be at work. It must be something else. And so we come to the text today, and we're in the second chapter of, of, the, of the book of Ruth. And remember, last chapter, we had this really like, kind of discouraging story for Naomi. Naomi and her husband had had to flee 
from you know, where Israel is, it's not really Israel yet, but from the land where Israel is, they have to flee and they have to go to Moab because there's famine. It's the only way that they're going to have, that they're going to have food, uh, they're gonna be able to survive. And so they get over there and, and you know, life starts to kind of turn around for them. Yeah, they're in a foreign land, but, but they, you know, they start to have a family. And then Elimelech dies. Well, okay, that's terrible for Naomi. And then, but then, um, uh, you know, they, you know, she, her sons get married, and so now she has daughters-in-law. And you know, they're, you know, looking for the day when there's going to be grandkids. And then her sons die. And then, to make matters even worse, where there had been famine, where Israel is today, in, in Canaan, now the famine was on the Moab side. And so the only solution seemed to be to move back. And so this is, you know, Naomi's life. And, and we, we, we read about how she, she faced this very difficult, uncertain future. And through it all, she never loses her faith in God. It doesn't mean that she's not a little upset with God or really upset with God, but she never loses her faith in God. She never abandons him. She never says, I'm going to go serve some other God who will take better care of me. She doesn't say, well, what's the point in believing in God? She still has faith in God, but she's also experiencing these things as real. She's not living in this kind of sunshiny bubble where all these bad things are happening to her and she's just thinking like, oh, no, life is cool, life is good, you know, just put on a smile and keep moving forward. In fact, she, when she gets back to where she's from in Judah, she, she says, like, I, I don't want to be called Naomi anymore. I want to be called Mara, which means bitter. And there's an aspect of that that we didn't really talk about last week, and it's really important because it's, it's important to the story. And, and it's that she not only is suffering in this life, She's not only been widowed, lost her sons, faces a life of, of hardship, destitute, poverty. It's not just that. Because she doesn't have any grandchildren, then she hasn't done one of the most important things that she was supposed to do as an, as an Israelite woman. She was supposed to help continue the line, to help produce the generations to come. And she, she can't do it. It's done. She's too old. Her sons have died. It's, it's over. And so not only that, but it's possible then that, that the land that was tied to, you know, the, the family continuing to pass down the land from family to family, that that's all gone too. She has literally ended her family line. And she has to live with that. And so th this is just, just, you know, terrible tragedy upon tragedy. And so we pick up the story with her, with her going back with Ruth. And you remember Ruth has this incredible statement of faith and statement of love for Naomi, and Naomi reciprocates. And they also have this faith in God. Ruth, the, the, the Moabitess, you know, she also has faith in God. 
And so we pick it up in chapter two where it says, now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping, and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and she said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? And so we, we see this story, and, and we have to understand the way that the story is being told, that we're being told, we're, giving a, we're being given this hint, this hint of hope, that there's this, this guy named Boaz, and he's a relative. And especially if we knew what, um, how that culture uh, did things, and if we knew about, about this, this term, which we'll talk about later on, the kinsman redeemer. If we knew about all that, we would start to see like, ah, oh, there's hope. And so the teller of the story tells us about it. But Naomi and Ruth, don't know about it. They don't appear to know that, that who this is, who this Boaz is. And Naomi doesn't seem to know what fields Ruth is gleaning in. In fact, she starts in one field and ends up in Boaz's field. And, and we don't get any sense that they, that they know this, that they have accepted their fate, that Ruth has said, I will go leave my people, go where my mother-in-law is going to go, and I will help her until she dies, and then my life will be very hard at that point. And so Ruth has just accepted it. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go out every day, and I'm going to glean. And if you know what gleaning means, it means that, that, they, that you could kind of go behind the main harvesters and anything that was dropped or left behind, you know, you could pick up and, and take. And, and, and so that's what she's doing. Um, Naomi has accepted her fate too. You know, this is, this is her life. She's going to just live out her days. And, you know, at least she has the blessing of, of having Ruth there. But you got to understand for Naomi too, it's kind of, a, kind of a mixed blessing. 
On one hand, she obviously loves Ruth, but she also knows that the longer she, you know, she goes, the longer she lives, that, that the less chance that Ruth will ever be able to remarry. She realizes Ruth is committed to staying with her and, you know, until Naomi dies. And so it's a terrible thing because she loves Ruth and she would love for Ruth to have a better life than she has, but she knows Ruth loves her and is committed to her. And so the longer she lives, the harder it is for Ruth. And so it's, it's really like a, like a tough situation to be in. You know, it's something that I don't think we fully understand. Maybe some of you find yourself in a, in a similar situation or you've heard about similar situations. You know, the only thing that kind of comes to mind for some people uh, that I know is, um, is when you have these um, parents who have, who have special needs children. And parents who have special needs children they, they live with this fear that most of us don't have. Most of us want and expect our kids to outlive us. We expect our kids to come to our funeral and visit our graves rather than vice versa. But sometimes special needs parents, they're, they're, they don't know what to do because on one hand, they want their kids to outlive them just like any parent would but they're terrified that once they die, they don't know who's gonna take care of their special needs child. They don't know if their child is gonna be, you know, put off to some other relative who may or may not understand them or put into an institution. And so they, they live with this kind of, this, this conflicting feelings, just like, you know, just like I think Naomi has. And so, this is, this is their lives, and they've, 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 they've accepted it. There's not anything where they think they have this, this plan going on. No, the plan is uh, get through every day, survive, glean, make your food, eat, keep moving. And we get a hint from, from Boaz, too, that, that this is not necessarily a safe situation especially for a Moabite woman, you know, a single Moabite woman, and then in these fields, that it's not necessarily safe. Because Boaz has to, has to tell his, his workers to leave her alone. But again, this is what they, they're going to do. This is what they have to do. This is how they're going to survive. So while they don't know it, the author lets us know it. And so what do we see? We see God at work in ways that Ruth and Naomi don't see. And I think that's something consistent with what God does today, that God works in ways that we don't always see. In fact, I would say much of what God does is things that we don't see. And it's, it's, it's one of those things that, that comes, that's the importance of knowing God and having faith and trust in God. Not that everything will work out the way we want. 
Remember, our problem sometimes is we want to tell God how he can bless us. We want to tell God how he can work in our lives. He has to, you know, take care of my problems. He has to, you know, give me a good job. He has to, you know, give me a, a you know, happy family. And we, we want to dictate to God how he can bless us. And if he doesn't bless us, then we start to, like, wonder about this God. You know, there's, there's people that they think, like, if God doesn't instantly heal them of their problems then there must not be a God. And so that's our problem, this problem of, of wanting you know, God to, you know, to only bless us in a certain way. Notice what I'm saying here. Our faith, our trust, is not that God will solve all our problems. Our trust is God is at work. God has his work that is sometimes secret to us, and his work is to accomplish his will in this world. That's what we trust. And sometimes that means God is going to rescue us out of great calamity. Sometimes that's what it means. Sometimes it means God's going to come in and he's going to heal us. Or he's going to allow us to be healed. But it doesn't always mean that. And so if, if I'm diagnosed with an illness, I'm going to be like so many of you. I'm going to pray that God will heal me. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I also hope that I'm going to pray that God is, is going to continue to accomplish his purpose. And this, it's tough to do. It's tough to be in, in, that, you know, in that place where we have that kind of faith. And especially when we're hurting. But we can look back. We can look back um, you know, throughout church history and what we see in church history is everybody dies. It's when we used to read to my daughters um, every night. We used to read them stories, and they, they would hear the story, and, and sometimes we'd finish the story kind of like, um, like right at that really like, you know, tense point where this person is in danger. We're not sure if they're going to get out, and, they, you know, and then I would, you know, you know, it's good night, you know, it's, it's, we're, we're done for tonight, and, and, you know, one or more of my daughters would ask, is he going to die? And my answer was always the same. Everyone dies, right? Everyone dies. There's, you look back through church history, no matter how great the leader was, they died. So the, the, the story you know, the, the story isn't God always heals, that God always gets us through our physical ailments. They died. In fact, when we take a closer look at some of the great Christians of the past, we know that a lot of them struggled with things like, like depression. You know, they struggled with, with things like how they felt about themselves. And yet they overcame that. God was still able to use them even though those things never went away. 
And it's, the difference is, is because they said, okay, God, if, if you're not going to take this away, I still trust you. I still trust that you're at work, and I still make myself available to be used by you, even though it's hard, even though it's tough to get out of bed every day. I still do. And so it's important that we understand when we say God is at work, that this is a secret work of God that we don't always see, it's not simply because he's got this secret rescue plan for us specifically. Sometimes it is, but not always. And what you know, someone once put in a song, it's like, and I think it's a good thing to, to, to keep in mind, is that when we cannot see God's hands at work, we trust his heart. But let me just add to that. We more than trust his heart. We do trust his heart, but we also trust his plan. We also trust his mind, that he knows what he's doing. We trust it all. And that's why it always comes back to what we've been talking about at our church for almost two years now. It comes back to knowing God, and you cannot know God if you're not a disciple. A lot of people don't want to be disciples. They just want to have some, what they consider sufficient knowledge of God to get them through life. And that's not what it means to be a Christian. We need to be, to be disciples devoted to an increasingly you know, deeper understanding of who God is. Because as God pulls back and lets us see more of what's going on, okay, as that happens, we have, you know, we have to be able to understand it. If, if we can't understand it, God has to keep it really simple for us. You know, he has to keep it, you know, just, just like this, this is all you can handle. So I'm only going to show you just a little bit. But if we really want to be able to make a difference in the world, if we really want to, to, to advance the kingdom in the world, we have to understand more about what God's plan is. We have to understand more about who he is. We have to understand more about what our role is so that we can, we can do it. And that comes through, through being a disciple, God's word and God's spirit working in our lives and changing us. The second thing that we see in this story is not just the kind of secret work of God where God is, is bringing them to this, this field and it just so happens that Ruth is, is gleaning in one field and she happens to move to this other field right at the time that Boaz shows up. Okay, all, all of these things are, are happening. And then there happens to be somebody else there who had heard Ruth's story and was able to tell Ruth's story to Boaz. And so all of these things are coming together. They're all happening. And, and, and it's, again, God being God. God, you know, bringing together different elements that are setting up what his plan is going to be. But also understand this, God's plan included human action. 
I don't want to say required human action. Sure, God could have done things, you know, he could have worked things out however he wanted to work things out. But they include human action. God's plan seems to always include human action. And we need to keep that in mind. We can't be so passive to sit back and think like, okay, you know, God, you want to do something, that's great. You want to work in my life, that's great. I'll just sit here and wait for it. No. It involves action. It involves doing the things that he tells us to do. In this case, they're not necessarily being told specifically what to do. They're just doing it. Naomi has come back, Ruth, out of love for her, for her mother-in-law and our love, love for God. She comes with her and now she goes into the field. Naomi stays home because Naomi's taking care of you know, that, that side, the house. And, and of course, when, when, when the gleaning, when the wheat comes in, you know, she's going to be able to, you know, to prepare the food. And, and they, they're doing these things out of, out of love for one another. And then you see, you, you see Boaz. And you see Boaz, when he hears this story about this young woman, he's, you know, he's moved to do the right thing. He's moved to say, you know, to protect her. He's moved to, to tell her specifically, look, just stay in this field. He, 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 he tells her that, you know, you, you'll be taken care of. It's human action. And, you know, that's again what we have to, we have to understand. You see, Boaz takes action based on information that he receives. He receives information and he takes appropriate action. He does the honorable thing. He wasn't required to do it. He didn't have to do it. But he does this, this honorable thing, this, this gracious thing for Ruth and Naomi. And, you know, for us, sometimes that's how God sometimes might use us. You see, when we talk about the secret work of God and we talk about God using human beings and working through human beings, then that means that sometimes we're the ones doing it. We're the ones doing it. And a lot of times we don't even know that we're doing it. Like, you know, I think my mom knew that when she was serving in the church, I think she knew she was serving in the church. I think she knew she was helping people. I think she knew she was doing things out of God's love. But I don't think she really knew all of the impact that she had. I don't think she really knew all the people that she influenced. That I can pretty confidently say. In fact, I would say she probably knows just a a smaller percentage of the ones that she, that, she, that she knows is smaller than all of the ones that she impacted. But, you know, how, how do we do this if we sometimes don't even know that we're doing it? Well, part of it is having certain abilities when we do take human action. And some of them aren't really abilities. I guess they're kind of abilities, but it's like, the ability to actually see all that needs to be seen. See, we're not God. God is omniscient. God is omnipotent. He's omnipresent. He can see everything. We can't. We're limited. 
But we need to be able to see the things that we, that we need to see. You know, we were, we were talking, you know, this morning a little bit in our Sunday school class today that, that a lot of times people want to take action before they have all the relevant facts. And of course, if you're on social media, like some of you are watching or you're on Facebook or something like that, it's easy to like, to like, like form an opinion, state an opinion, you know, share an article, do something. It's so easy to do that before we have all the relevant facts, especially if what we're hearing agrees with what we already believe to be true. We can't really do the secret work of God if we're going to just take action before we really know what the situation is. And that's the thing we see about Boaz. You know, he, he, he doesn't say right off the bat, hey, Ruth, marry me. No, he doesn't know that. All he does know is, from what he does know, he knows there's this, this, this woman who's a Moabitess who has come over and done something that even, you know, he knows some of his own family wouldn't have done. He knows what she's risking. He's, he knows what, what, what she's done for Naomi. And based on that, he takes appropriate action. But he, has, he takes action. But the other thing that, that as, as we you know, think about what do we need to do to be able to do some of these things, you know, one of them is not just to, to have the information, but it's really the ability to understand it. There's a, a lot of people that have, you know, they, they have access to information, but they don't necessarily are able to understand it. And I think that's one of the strengths of having a healthy church, a healthy community of faith, where you can actually discuss things together, where you can, where you can hear different perspectives, and because you, you're, you're coming from kind of a, this, the same kind of, you know, you know, approach to the world, worldview, but people can bring in and they can really talk about it and process. You know, what do we need to do? You know, somebody asked in our Sunday school class today, you know, about the, you know, as most of you have heard about the shooting that happened in Georgia, the murder of, of, of the, the man who was out running, and you heard about it, and maybe you read about it, and someone asked, what can we do about it? Well, I don't know what we can do about it, but I know one of the first things we can do about it is care enough to try to understand what happened, understand the situation, and then take appropriate action. But even with the little bit that you do understand, you can already do something appropriate with what you already do understand. And so it, it requires us to, to do that, but then even if we have all the facts, all the relevant facts, all the essential facts, do we have the ability to really kind of understand and process it? Well, that's where, it, again, that question is a good question because it was brought to, to the group and we could talk about it. We can understand it together. And so God's plan includes human action. It's not impulsive human action. But it includes human action, and part of human action means that we have to know, you know, what is uh, appropriate action. But we also need to know that whatever we do 
has to be consistent with what we already know about God. Boaz is doing something that's consistent with what he knows about who God is. Ruth is doing something that's consistent with what she knows about who God, God is. Naomi is doing the same thing. They're, they're, they're acting in a way that's consistent with who God is. They're not just simply just doing whatever they think is right. And that's part of the problem. Part of the problem we have, um, you know, we have today is that, is that we mistake feelings for, you know, what truth is. And it doesn't mean feelings aren't important. Feelings are important. But anything that I feel is from God needs to be consistent with the truth that I know is from God, that I find in, in the Word of God. I can't just do something because I feel that it needs to be done. I think I shared with you guys this, this story about when I, when I went to Kenya and we were, you know, one of my students took me down to where he was doing ministry and we were going through the coffee and tea farms and seeing the people live, who, how they live there. And you know, and you're going into these, like these, these um, one room, you know, dirt floor, tin roof, you know, holes for windows, but you know, no window in there. And, and just looks like they have really not much at all. And then hearing that, that they get paid a dollar a day. And I remember going to the first house and just thinking like, I want to give this person all the money I have in my pocket. That was my feeling. And then I went to the second house. And I thought like, if I had given this person all the money I had in my pocket from the first house, I would have had nothing to give to the second house. Then I went to a third house, and a fourth house, and a fifth house. And then it was just stepping back and not going into houses, but just seeing rows and rows of houses of people living just like this. And so my feeling would have been a good thing in a way, but it wasn't really necessarily what I needed to do. And so I, I think we mistake that sometimes. It, it took me like kind of taking a step back and, and trying to figure out like, you know, what can we do to make a bigger difference? So as soon as I got back from Kenya, I challenged my church, challenged my church to, you know, let's, let's do something. And a lot of the people, they, they, they started to, you know, contribute. But we need to know God's truth. It always goes back to we need to be disciples of his word. I think some people don't want to be disciples because they're afraid that God's disciple, you know, when they become truly disciples of Christ, that they are going to be asked to give way more than they're comfortable, to do things way beyond what they're comfortable doing. And so it kind of keeps us safe. But God's plan, it includes human action, but that behind that human action is an understanding of who God is and, and, and doing things consistent with who we know God is. And the last thing we see here that's going to be played out more and more is that God's work, and this is why we don't always see it, 
is that God often works through human relationships. Remember, the Bible in 1 John tells us God is love. And if God is love, you know, it, it tells us that, you know, that, you know, even no one has ever seen God, but it says when we have love one for another, that, that God is like, is manifest. God is glorified. And, and you know, we, we think like love is some kind of separate thing over here, but it's like, no. If we're believers in Christ, love is what, is what should be, you know, forging our relationships with one another. And if love is from God, and in fact, if, as the Bible tells us, God is love, then we should expect God to be working through those relationships. That's what we should expect. We shouldn't expect God to do, you know, big miracles over, you know, on the mountain or in the sky. We should be seeing him do incredible miracles in how we love one another. God works through human relationships. And let me tell you, if, if, if I could give God some advice, I would tell, tell God, like, you know, it's a lot easier if you just, like, supernaturally, magically make these things happen. The fact that you're trying to work through us, you're trying to let your love go through us to each other and then out to the world, that's probably not the most efficient way to do it. You should probably think about a different plan. But I think that's the whole reason that's, that it's awesome. That God goes, yeah, it's, it's hard. In fact, it's impossible. It's impossible to, for us to think about, you know, God, you know, loving and, you know, through us. And when we realize it's impossible, when it happens, then we know for sure it is God. And so God works through our human relationships. But as we've talked about before, we cannot just throw the word love around. Unfortunately, that's what's happening. More and more Christians aren't really understanding love in, from a biblical perspective. They're not defining it. It's not in context. And so love becomes kind of this ambiguous feeling that we have. It, it becomes like, you know, like the trump card that I get to throw out, you know, every time I'm, you know, maybe thinking that something is wrong. It's like, well, you're supposed to love. You're, love doesn't mean that I don't think that things are wrong. Love doesn't mean that I think everybody should be able to do whatever they want to do. That's not love. I mean, if I had raised my kids that way, I wouldn't have kids. They, they would have somehow all, you know, gone away somehow. If I had said, like, well, you know, I love my kids, so I never tell them what to do. They want to run through the house with scissors. Hey, I'm not a dictator. I love them. Run all you want. You know, whatever you want to do. You know, you want to, you know, go play ball in traffic, that's good. Because you want to do it. It's awesome. But for some reason, we've gotten in our heads that, you know, this, this weird thing of love is love is like, we, we just let people do whatever they want to do. That's love. And it's really not what the Bible tells us love is. It's important that 
that God does work through human relationships, work we don't always see, but that work is, is his love being expressed from him to us and then through us. And that's what we see in this story. Naomi, Ruth, Boaz, they're all faithful to God. We're going to see this even more so with Boaz, where he really demonstrates his faithfulness to God and to the covenant. They're all faithful to God. They all love God. And we see Naomi and Ruth certainly love each other. And I think that's something that we need to, to, to take to heart. Because again, when, when we do the secret work of God, when we do that work, we sometimes don't know that we're doing it. And so you might go, well, then how, you know, so I just should just live? Is I just live and then accidentally I'm a blessing to somebody? No. It's like Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz. You be faithful. You be faithful. You love each other with God's love. You love God. You follow his word. And just by doing that, you will be doing the secret work of God in other people's lives. Just by doing that. And, you know, there's people that are like, yeah, but, but I want to know. I want to know who I'm helping. Why? If you want to know everybody that you're helping, why are you helping them? Why are you living faithfully? Why are you loving God? Is it really unconditional if you have to know everybody that you're helping? You know, I've shared the story of William Carey before. And William Carey had no idea the impact he would have on India. But for seven years, for seven years he ministered in India and didn't have one convert, not one. He wasn't there for himself. He wasn't there for his success. He was there because he was faithful. He was doing the work of God. And so when we do things founded in God's word, when we do things from God's love, when we do things for his glory, we often do the secret work of God and, and, and don't even know it. It's not to be noticed by others. It's simply to be who we've been called to be. And the reverse is true too. Most of you can, can think of people who blessed you. And by the way, just because someone blessed you and they didn't know they blessed you, it's okay for you to thank them. It's okay to, you know, write to somebody who 10, 12, 13 years ago made a huge difference in your life and, and they didn't even know it. It's okay. You're not ruining it for them because they weren't doing it looking for your thank you 10, 12 years from now. And you can become a blessing to them especially people who may be going through a time in their lives now where they feel like they're useless, where they feel like maybe their whole Christian life has been a waste. And then you remind them of something that they did for you that they didn't even know they did. 
And the only reason you knew is because you looked back several years later after you lost contact with them, they weren't around, and then you realize that person God used to shape your life. It's okay to tell them. But the big takeaway here is to know that God is at work in ways we can see and ways that we don't see. And because of that, we can always, always trust in him.